Hello, welcome to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Dr. Jonathan Wilson and our new signing for the new season, George Ellick, who I've worked with before and I'm really looking forward to having on this podcast. We are here to preview week one of the Premier League, but we're going to look a little bit at the transfer business of teams as well and do some general predictions and I've also thrown in some trivia, which I'm sure everyone will enjoy. So let's start with transfers then. George, I'll come to you first, put you under pressure on your day. <laughs> Is there any signings that you think have gone under the radar this summer as in they'll turn out to be a really important player, but not many are talking about them? It's 2023, Dan. I don't think any signings go under the radar these days. Every single one is greeted as if it's like a, a long lost relative. I guess the ones that come at the beginning of the summer that maybe get, maybe get forgotten about, I think Joao Pedro in at Brighton is one that I'm really excited to see. It's a deal that kind of everyone knew was going to happen for the last couple of months of last season. He didn't wasn't really in the Watford squad much. Um, I know that in his previous campaign at Premier League level, he didn't necessarily set the world alight, but he is a different physical specimen now. He is incredibly talented. Like, uh, I, I don't think people have quite realised quite how good he could be in terms of his actual uh, ball, ball playing ability, his um, flair levels. He's just a, a very exciting attacking player who's no longer, the, you know, quite physically weak, which maybe could have been levelled at him in his previous uh, campaign at Watford. And at Brighton, he's at basically the perfect club to unlock yeah. his potential. You know, previously at Watford, he's been playing in, in fairly... Um, Poor sides where just him and Ishmael Yassar have been like the two outballs and he's been kind of doubled up on for the most part. I think playing for a Deserby side who are so uh, good in transition and with a load of space to exploit um, where he's going to be one cog in a machine uh, is really exciting. So, yeah, I guess people were talking about it a lot when it happened. It was quite a long time ago now, so I'm going to count that as being under the radar. I think that's on three players whilst the season was actually still hadn't finished. Yeah, City, City certainly had some games left while those signings would be made, were being made. Well, Sajad Pedro, I, I first time I saw him in like live, um, Watford played Spurs on. I think it was New Year's Day, and Watford in that game actually played really well the first half hour of the second half. Then there was a long stoppage because of the medical emergency in the crowd. And they sort of, Tottenham were able to regroup and that, they went on to win it 1-0. You know, sometimes you see a player and you think, hang on, why why is he not starting games? Why is nobody talking about him? And you start thinking, yeah, have I only, have I got the good 45 minutes he's played in his life? But then I saw, you know, saw a bit of him in the championship last season. Uh, when I was at two Watford games live. And, and again, you sort of think, he's better than that level. He should be playing at a higher mm. level. And I think Brighton signings generally are just interesting because they're so good at this. And I, I think one of the things that we often get wrong about signings, or, or you know, it's too easy to think that, that all players in the world, you can rank them, but he's the best and he's the worst. And they, they all just sort of stick in that long line. Brighton have done really well because they've signed the, the 15th best of those players, which isn't the, the way it works at all. It's different players work in different systems with different players around them. And I think he could be a really good example of that, of somebody who wasn't hugely successful at Watford, but in an environment where they know exactly what they're getting, where Brighton are extremely good at getting players to fit their system. And quite often you see players leave Brighton who, who don't particularly play well. Marco Carreira, I'm, I'm looking particularly at you. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what he does. Uh, and also Mamad Dahoud. He's one of those players who was really hyped sort of four or five years mm -hmm. ago in Germany and sort of disappeared. Or, or it didn't disappear, but he, he was no longer sort of the, the coming thing that you sort of think he's about to move to the Premier League. And now, age 27, he has. I wonder if signing him is a sort of acknowledgement that Caicedo might be on his way. Not not exactly the same, but sort of similar roles. The fact they've brought in Milner as well. I think it's really interesting that Brighton now, 
they're obviously very good at picking up teenagers, but they're also picking up slightly more experienced older players. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, they're, they're the two who I sort of think we we as a football culture may may not be as excited about as we ought to be. Well, one other that I wanted to mention just to... Um, I've seen a lot of people laughing about the signing of Mads Anderson from Barnsley to Luton, kind of joking that Luton have, have got the Premier League and have started signing League One centre-backs. My prediction here now at the beginning of the season is that if Luton do go down, a different Premier League club will buy Mads Anderson because he's a, a brilliant, towering centre-back who should never have been playing League One football last season. He basically decided to give it one last try at Barnsley to see if they could win promotion. Um He's very, very good and will suit the way that Luton play perfectly. So he's another one to um, yeah delete those tweets if you've made the, the gag about, about Mads getting moved to the Premier League. And, and if, if I can add another one who's not actually a signing, but a signing that didn't happen and therefore he's remained at Chelsea, is Ian Matson. He was on his way out. Pochettino had stopped the, the transfer and everything I've heard about him from people at Chelsea, they, they, they were baffled by the fact that the club were willing to get rid of him. And the sort of the idea is the link up between him and, and Colwell as... as you know, ball playing left side centre back and a very attacking left back that that could be really exciting. Should mention as well for for viewers of the show, George will mention any obscure AFL player he can <laughs> during the show, and he's Fairness, already that was, done that. that was off to a flying EFL start. There, Joel Pedro, Ian Matson, you know, we're know. doing well. Mads Anderson, who else can we get in? Those players haven't made the who scored best signing eleven. It's the most niche formation I've ever seen in my life. So I'll just run through it now. We've got Vicario in goal, who Tottenham Hotspur have signed. I should say these ratings are based on last season. Obviously, a back three of Timber, Diassi and Pau Torres. Then a diamond midfield of Declan Rice, Sandro Tonali, McAllister and Shabazzlai. So Shabazzlai is kind of playing as a 10 there, I'm, I'm assuming. And then a front three of Diaby and Kunku and Madison. I mean, Jonathan, we've been willing who scored to move away from 4-4-2 for years there. Yeah, get back they've, to it. They've taken it too far. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even work out, work out that system. It's not too far off being being a sort of pep style WM, isn't it? A, a three two yeah. two three. So I, yeah, I guess you could have Rice and Sobislai as the two wing halves, and Tonali and um, Sobislai as, as the the inside forwards. It's attacking. Any, anyone from the AFL that should be in that eleven, George? <laughs> Out of those signings that we've just mentioned in the eleven, which signing takes their new team to the next level the most? Jonathan, your turn first. I just don't think teams get taken to a new level by signings. <laughs> I, 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 they stick within their levels. That's that's what modern football is about. Arsenal at the start of last season, nobody thought were a title challenger coming second team. Yeah, I think signing Declan Rice and. Possibly Kai Havertz, although slightly depends how he's used. And, and I don't think he should be used as they use him in the community shield. They are two expensive, big-name, high-class players who, if they get the best out of them, could make Arsenal regular title contenders. Now, does that mean that, that they've moved up a level, given they finished second and were the closest challenger last season? You might argue that it doesn't mean that, but I think it makes them better as a squad. I mean, last season, sorry, 12 months ago, there's absolutely no chance Arsenal signed Declan Rice, but they were title challengers last year. You know, if they're title challengers again, that probably hasn't taken them to, to the next level. A signing I want to tout is Moussa mm. Diaby at Villa because Villa, since they returned to the Premier League, every summer they've bought a wide player, a wide attacking player. And it seems like every year they've kind of got a better player in and it feels like Moussa Diaby is a better level 
than the previous wide players that, that Villa have had because he's looked electric in pre-season. Yeah, I, I agree. But normally we're sitting here in August and we're talking about, you know, this time last year it was it was Leon Bailey, wasn't it? Where, where you're expecting yeah. a player to come in and, and step up. And, you know, I think it's probably fair to say that none of the, those kind of big signings for Villa in, in recent seasons have quite hit the heights that you're, you're hoping that they would. I do think Pau Torres is another interesting signing for Villa where when you're talking kind of in the same way that I agree with Jonathan, I don't, I don't really think that a signing elevates a team to that level. You know, we all are, we all love players, but I think the, the obsession with transfers in itself is disproportionate to the impact that they actually necessarily have unless they're in the right environment. There's no way, well, I don't think that Pau Torres moved to Villa a year ago. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a sign of, of, of Unai Emery's arrival at the club and, and the clout that that brings. And I think with, with Moussa Diaby, you're probably looking at, at a similar story. So it's a good indicator of where a club has got to. I think with Tenali and, and Newcastle, it's a similar story as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing when you consider you know, the Premier League has always been touted as, you know, the, the best league in the world or whatever else. And whether you believe in that or not, I'm not really sure. But this, this feels like a new era of the Premier League where top level elite players signing for, for for teams without any guarantee of, of European football full stop at the end of the season and that's that's fairly significant let's move away from signings then and get on to the game week preview and we're going to start with the first Premier League game of the season which is Burnley against Manchester City on Friday night Jonathan I'm assuming you watched the community shield yesterday I haven't spoke to you so I don't know for a fact but if you did what did you make of, of Manchester City did you think but the being two weeks behind in terms of a fitness played a part. Probably. I mean, I didn't think either side played particularly well. I thought it was a pretty disappointing spectacle. And, and you know, they, they were one nil up until a pretty unlucky equaliser conceded in the last minute. So it, it wasn't like the previous season when we were sort of making a direct comparison between Holland and Darwin Nunez and getting exactly the wrong call. That you know, There's a, a lot of talk then that is Holland really going to fit in this side Nunez looks looks amazing, and within a month, everybody changed their minds. I think what Aaron Ramsdale said about it being a statement win psychologically, given they lost their eight last the last eight games against City, it is a it is a big win for Arsenal. If if they lost, it would have felt very much that I uh, was just plodding along the same familiar path. Well, it does feel slightly different now. Community Shields, yeah, you know, generally, they don't matter until suddenly they do. So. I think, I mean, you might disagree, you might think of another example, but I think the last Community Shield that actually mattered was 2015 when Mourinho's Chelsea lost to Arsenal. And that was the first time Arsenal had beaten Chelsea in, I can't remember, a long 20-odd games, I think it was. Or maybe they'd won like one out of 20-odd. But it was, you know, it, it ended a long run of poor form against Chelsea. And also Mourinho's whole sort of demeanour that day you could tell something was was awry. Possibly this is a sign that Arsenal are uh, a bit tougher than than they, they maybe have been. But equally, it could be in three or four weeks that we're looking back at that thing. Yeah, City would just off the pace because they, they, they weren't quite ready because their season went on longer last season. Do you not think there's an argument with this one? I mean, I, I think that generally they're, they're irrelevant, but Pep's reaction to the opening goal kind of triggered the game mattering in a way where like he showed his hand presumably because he thought he was on his way to a victory and gave it the big one in the touchline and, and, and a big celebration which kind of validated any um reaction from Arsenal in terms of, of feeling like they got an upper hand Guardiola had won and Man City had won he would have said it was important I'm guessing yeah 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 well I, I, and I guess from his point of view he you know he, he won three trophies last season this is a chance to win four this season hmm. um obviously he's got the league cup as well I, I, I wonder as well that celebration whether that was the uh, that was Cole Palmer who scored. I don't know. May, maybe that contributes to it. Yeah, if, you, if you want to find an excuse for him, that would be the excuse you'd use, I guess. 
I mean, this isn't the trivia, but we're saying, is it important? Can you name me the previous three Community Shield winners? Well, so Arsenal won it on uh, on Sunday. Don't include that uh, one, Jonathan. Don't be smart. Liverpool. No one wants a smart <laughs> ass. Liverpool, Liverpool yeah. the season before. Yeah. Uh, Leicester the season before. Yeah. So City won the league again. So, so City must have won it. No, it was Arsenal. Really? Yeah. Who did they beat? I haven't got uh, a clue, yeah, but they... I just looked at it before we came on. Yeah, Arsenal beat Liverpool on penalties in front of and, a, an attendance of, of zero. And I have no memory oh. of that guy. <laughs> we were just talking about, about Cole, Cole Palmer, sorry. Is he equipped to replace Riyad Mahrez in Manchester City squad? Because to me, Manchester City squad still looks a little bit on the small side. Gavardia was probably going to replace Laporte. I would expect Laporte to move on. Kovacic was being looked at anyway, but essentially is a replacement for Gundogan at the moment. So Man City are, are, are I think they're short. Yeah, I mean, at that level, it's so hard for these, um, you know, the, the academy graduates to, to, to kind of get enough minutes to be considered a replacement because the, the, the level is so high and because of the, the, you know, the amount of money City can spend in order to bring players in. I really hope Palmer is given the opportunity. He's had a, a magnificent summer. Uh, of course, with the under twenty ones, um, I think he's a, a, a quality prospect. But when you consider, you know, with Phil Foden's introduction to first team football, like everybody knew that Foden was destined to be a, a City first team player, it feels like hopefully that's the case with, with Palmer. But even then, it took what eighteen months for Foden's kind of transition from being a a bit part academy player into being a first team regular. Um, and then even last season, you know, he lost his place again. So I hope that is the case. Um, you know, I've spoken to, to managers before about it's very difficult for a manager to invest their faith in youth when it's their job that is basically up for, uh, up for that's in jeopardy if things go wrong. Like, Why would a manager who's only going to be at a club for another 18 months bother blooding a 17-year-old when he's not going to be there to, to, bear, to, to kind of bear the fruit? But City, that isn't the case. You know, we know that Guardiola's job is basically as safe as, as, safe as he'd you know, it's as safe as he wants it to be for, for, for the duration of his time there. So hopefully we see Palmer get more opportunity. We saw it obviously with Lewis last season as well. So um, yeah, fingers crossed that this is the beginning of a, a breakout season for him. And have we learned our lesson from 12 months ago, Jonathan Harland, very quiet in the in, in the community <laughs> shield this year, just like he was 12 months ago. But essentially he did prove last year that it doesn't really matter. If the concerns about Holland up to the World Cup were, were fair enough, he was scoring goals, but you could tell that he didn't quite fit in the team. And I think the biggest example of that was the the game at Old Trafford, which was was that towards the end of January, maybe beginning of February. And it was shortly after that that it clicked, and and suddenly he wasn't just scoring goals, but also the team was working well around him. So I, I don't I don't think anybody's got any any doubts about Holland. The point you make about City being slightly short, and obviously this is we're talking in very relative terms. Mares was useful to them in that he was a player who popped up with quite a lot of useful goals. You know, yeah. Goals in games where it had, the game had been a bit flat and suddenly he would do something and, and, and break the game. I think Gundogan even more so, and he's done it, he'd done it the, the last two seasons. That last sort of six weeks of both of those two seasons, he scored a lot of vital goals. Kovacic, for lovely player that he is, will not give you that. Kovacic just doesn't score goals. That That is something they, they, they might be missing. And... Yeah, you, know, you think of the first eleven; it's really not a problem playing Bernardo Silva on the right. Yeah, I, th- I think that is actually how they 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 looked best, even when Mahrez was there. But if you want to play Bernardo Silva in midfield, if 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 De Bruyne's not there, then they they are a little bit short on that right hand side. So they they 
there are two areas where you'd say they, they definitely are, are not as strong as they were last season. Yeah, you're right. Kovacic is a magnificent footballer. I thought he had a good game yesterday, but he won't give you those moments that Gundogan did give you towards the end of the season. They're completely different types of players and he'll, he'll be a huge miss Gundogan with his leadership as as well. So be interesting to see what City do coming up to the to the end of the window. Last year, they sprung a surprise near the end and got in a Kanji who we all thought they didn't really need and turned out to be a brilliant signing, probably one of the most under-the-radar signings that they're at actually was in the summer window last time around. So we'll see what Pep comes up with. George, let's talk about Burnley then. A lot of players have, have come through the door, coming off the back of a sensational season in the Championship where Vincent Company deserves a huge amount of credit for how he pulled it all together so quickly with a, with a completely new team. I haven't got Burnley down as being in, in any trouble this year. I think they play a style of football that will, will suit the Premier League and I think home for, I think they'll, they'll do really well. Any of their new signings stand out for you? I'm intrigued to see basically all of them. I'm really excited by Burnley this season. I think James Trafford uh, in goal is a, you know, it's not a surprise that City have put a buyback a buy clause in his um, contract because he's someone who, you know, if he continues his progression as he has done, he was brilliant at Bolton last season, great for the under-21s. Yep. A possible future England number one there um, who will come straight into the side. Jordan Bayer, their centre-back, who they had on loan last season at Bruce Munch and Gladbach. They've signed on a permanent who's very good, Dara O'Shea. Again, a young centre-back from West Brom who's really impressive. I can't proclaim to have seen much of their £20 million or £80 million striker, Zeki Amdouni, uh, who comes in from Basel um, with a decent goal-scoring record. But their recruitment, basically since company, or since the, the new ownership group came in last summer, has been, they've barely missed, basically. Like Manuel Benson came in, Anna Saruri came in, Nathan Tenner on loan. Like these players, Josh Cullen, their hit rate was unbelievable. So if there's a club... You know, we always talk about Brighton and Brentford. You know, they always recruit well, and you, and you trust whoever they're going to bring in. At this stage, with Burnley, I think it's basically the same. Where um, whoever is doing their recruiting, whatever model they're using, is clearly flagging some some high quality talent. So I'm really excited to see how they get on. Um, yeah, as you say, they were magnificent last season. Uh, in, in company, we've got a manager who I imagine, if things progress the way that we expect them to, you know, he's got to be front of the queue to replace Guardiola whenever Guardiola does move on um, and I you know rather than thinking that Burnley uh, a team that you could see getting relegated back to the championship I think in time they're probably more likely to follow the likes of of, of Brighton and Brentford in terms of trying to, to break into that higher group of teams in the, the Premier League well, they've replaced Nathan Teller with Nathan Redmond, so Nathan for Nathan. That's my, <laughs> that's my expert analysis on Burnley. Burnley Teller, Teller still might business. be going back, though. He's a quality player, and they seem to be... Um, it seems like Burnley just keep coming in with bids that they know Southampton are going to reject. We know that normally that ends up... Um, you know, there's still a few weeks of the window left. Jonathan, can you make any kind of case for Burnley getting anything against Manchester City on Friday night? It could happen. I mean, uh, start of the season, you know, City, I think we saw... At the weekend, I know we're near what they, they 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 should be, or you know what they what they will be later in the season. Uh, Burnley at home, you know the atmosphere there. You you know that it's kind of it's a tight ground that does generate a good atmosphere. Maybe they catch City a little bit cold, but you saw the FA Cup game last year. City are <laughs> way way better, so it, it's it's really difficult for them. But then company might have learned from that. He he may be less inclined to be gung-ho in the league than he was in the cup. You know, there's there's a point in drawing this game, whereas last season you might think, well, a draw just just delays the inevitable, uh, whereas taking a point would be very good. So I don't expect it, but it, yeah, it could happen. Let's move on to Newcastle against Villa, which is the Saturday tea time offering. Two big success stories from last season, George. Now, everyone knows I'm a Villa fan because I bring it up every single week and you can see the shirts <laughs> behind me. But I was actually making the point the other day at work that 
I don't think there's too much difference between Villa and Newcastle in in terms of squad. I think last season Villa just gave Newcastle a, a 13 game head start with, with Steven Gerrard as a manager. But actually, if you look at the league table since Unai Emery joined, it's close between them in in terms of points taken. So actually, if you look at the depth of each squad, it's I don't think there's much in it at all. I think it's two even teams. Yeah, I don't disagree at all. Um, it doesn't help you in this game, but in terms of over the course of the season, the fact that. Newcastle have, you know, Champions League football to contend with. I know that Villa are in Europe as well, um, but Villa probably more licensed to rotate um, yep. than, than Newcastle will. So, so that should should help you out. Although I guess Villa are probably more likely to go deep in the competition than, than Newcastle are. You know, both squads. Uh, there's no denying that Villa's squad was massively um, underperforming. I think both sides have, you know, serious expectation levels this season. And the only concern, in my point of view, is that the league generally looks a lot stronger. Um, last season was pretty anomalous in that you had a Chelsea team picking up 44 points, a Tottenham team where there was basically a civil war. I mean, that's not necessarily the most uh, unlikely, but over the campaign, Tottenham were by no means uh, at the level we'd necessarily expect. Liverpool dropped off massively. So it was kind of well set for teams like Newcastle and Villa to, to be able to, to put a good run together and force their way into the reckoning. Um, I'm not convinced that will happen this time around. So, you know, I, I do worry a little bit for, for both Eddie Howe and for, for Unai Emery that they're going to be judged based on their league position rather than necessarily the performance level, um, which they could still improve, but but still fall back. So, but yeah, I mean, Villa have a quality squad. I'm, I'm really excited to see what Ollie Watkins does this season. I feel, and I think he's already had about three breakout seasons in his career, but it does feel like in this campaign for this manager and, and the quality around him, um, he could have a, you know, a, a, a personal um yeah, his best personal season so far. Tenali's come in at Newcastle, Jonathan, a really high-level player. That, that's, that's a great sign for Newcastle. I think the way he plays, he'll, he'll adapt to the Premier League in, in, in a few months and be a sensational signing. Harvey Barnes has come in for, for Alan St. Maximin. I don't think Livermento's been, been completed yet, but that'll be on the, on, on the verge of happening. It looks like he's coming in. So two bodies stronger as I say, St. Maximum's gone. Barnes has, has come in. You can debate whether that's a, a step up in quality or, or not. It probably is in terms of goal and assist productivity. But have Newcastle done enough so far in this window, considering they are about to embark on a Champions League campaign? I, I, I don't know. It's a difficult balancing act because if if you bring in half a dozen players, yeah, then you risk yeah. on balancing everybody. So I, I think you, you probably would rather risk a little bit of fatigue than, than, than sort of risk the morale of the whole place. Uh, I guess they probably, I mean, Livermento and then maybe one more um, of a high level. I mean, I know they've brought in Yukibi Mintel, this, this 19-year-old Gambian winger, who I, I, you know, I, I'd be amazed if we see much of him. But, they, you know, it means they are still sort of, um, it's, it's something to play in League Cup games, I guess, is is, is the point of that. Yeah, I mean, the squad wasn't huge last season. So it, it will, the Champions League will put strain on them. Plus, I think it puts, puts psychological strain. If you're... Yeah, they're going to be in pot four of seeds. So the chances are they're going to get two big teams. Um, if you're playing Napoli on the Wednesday and then the following Tuesday you're playing Real Madrid and on the Saturday you've got Burnley away, that's a difficult thing psychologically to to kind of keep yourself going for. That Inevitably that, that, that middle game gets a bit lost. So, so and Eddie Howe's got no <clears throat> no experience of that. So we'll, we'll see how he deals with that. But uh, yeah, I think this is a I think it's a really nice game for the first day of the season. They're two teams who yeah, you sort of expect to be fourth in a great season, maybe down to eighth or ninth going against each other when there is no issue of fatigue or anything. So it's yeah, it's it's what I'm looking forward to. 
Yeah, I think it'll be a really good game. It's a great game at Villa Park when Newcastle were going really well. Villa absolutely dismantled Newcastle 3-0 in that game. Probably the best I've ever seen an Aston Villa side play, actually, I would say. But you're right, I think it, it, it's two high-level teams who've brought in good players, had great seasons last time round as a, as, a, as a curtain raiser for, for both teams. I think it will be a really, really exciting game. I mean, Mr. Jabby, fine. Yeah, what, nine goals for last season, clearly has talent. You, you slightly worry that... He, you know, as we said, he replicates that pattern of Villa signing wide forwards who don't quite come off. Torres and Yuri Tillemans, I have slight doubts about both of them, but Torres, I think, is a little bit slow on the turn. I'd worry about that. I think he's great in the air, but I, I would worry about him against pace, particularly if, if Villa push up. I mean, obviously, Emery's worked with him before, so you know, he, he knows what he's doing there. But that, that's, that would always be my doubt about Torres. Uh, and Tillemans, you know, Leicester fans fell out of love with him in a pretty big way last season. Um, that I think, you know, lovely on the ball, will score two or three beautiful goals every season. But I'm not sure that he's the bravest player when things start to go wrong. Maybe that's why they're, they're going to Villa. If they didn't have a doubt about them, they'd be going to the Champions League club. And also, does, does pre-season form count for anything? I don't think oh, so. Big, big time in this case, George. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think what they've tried to do, Villa... They've tried to, there's not much European experience within that squad. Obviously, they've got the perfect manager to, to be in the Europa Conference League, but they've signed Pau Torres, who's used to playing Sunday, Thursday, and used to having midweek European adventures and has worked with Emery before. Tillemans has done the Sunday, Thursday thing be- before at, at Leicester, and uh, Diaby is another one who's, who's used to playing European football. So I think they've tried to get a high level of, of player in, but players that have played in Europe, because as I say, the squad hasn't got much experience of that. And I think... Paul Torres, for example, he won't need to be rushed in and put in straight away in the Premier League. I think Villa will start the season with Conser and Mings because Villa's defence towards the back end of the season was absolutely excellent. And then I think maybe in the European games, you'll see Paul Torres and Diego Carlos, who's fit again now, play as the centre-backs, the two with with European experience. It, it won't be as straightforward as that, but I think that might be what you see in the early weeks. And I think because you know the Europa Conference League should be easier for Villa than it, the Champions League will be for Newcastle, I think you will see Ollie Watkins will not play in the in the Europa Conference League in the group stage. It'll be Cameron Archer, who's come back from successfully FL loans. He'll be the striker in the European games. Bailey will probably play instead of, of Diaby. Two centre-backs I've just mentioned. One of Douglas Louise or Kamara will drop out and Tillemans will come in. So I think Villa have signed players on, on that basis, in my opinion. But I think, you know... The trust is completely there from the, the Villa fans. Unai Emery is in full control of, of what Villa are doing transfer-wise and, and everything football-wise. But I think the Villa fans just completely trust him. So whatever he decides, every, everyone's happy with. But yeah, really exciting game and two teams that should have really exciting seasons. Let's look at Chelsea against Liverpool now. Two teams that didn't have their ideal seasons last time round. Both teams have made a lot of signings. Jonathan, Chelsea in particular have... I had, had a quite a lot come in. A lot of young players come back off loans as well. Liverpool have actually lost probably more players th- than they expected. So it's been an interesting window for both so far, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Chelsea, I think, I think they've only brought in four senior players. But after, you know, huge upheaval last season, uh, Liverpool, um, well, let's do Liverpool first, because that's easier in some ways. Liverpool clearly last season, on this year with the midfield, they needed to rejuvenate it. The question is, have they rejuvenated too much? So bringing in McAllister, Sobersly, and losing Milner and Henderson and, and Fabinho, they've gone from an average age of just over 30 to an average age of, sort of 22, 23. And if, if Lavia comes in as well, then that gets even even lower. I, I, that suggests to me that they 
they think Bajetic is is going to be playing regularly this season and it really is as good as he looked when he looked good last season. Um, and you know, he'll what, turn 19 during the season. But you would have concerns about a, a midfield where the oldest player is 24. Then you look at Chelsea and their oldest player midfield is 23 and it's Conor Gallagher. You look at Chelsea's back four, or you look at their centre-back, sorry, and yes, you've got Thiago Silva's 38. And then I think the next oldest is Wesley Fofana, who's A, never fit, and B, 22. So you're then dropping down to you know, Badia Shield, who's, well, I think, is he 19 yet? 18, 19? Diaz is coming now, hasn't he? 25, he's 25, but hasn't got yeah, any okay, experience. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, uh, Levi Colwell, I think, I think will play regularly, but he's 21, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you, you look even at the forward line, Yes, you've got Raheem Sterling, who's, what, 28, but you then get down pretty quickly to players in their early 20s. In terms of centre-forwards, the only one they've got is is, uh, is Jackson, who in his entire career has started 16 league games at the top level. So um, it could be very exciting, but you sort of think it's going to take you at least a year or two to, to really settle down. And you wonder whether Chelsea can really afford that or whether they need to start getting in the Champions League and getting that revenue pretty quickly. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I think they've got the right manager for the project, but I just don't think that they're magically going to be finishing top six. I think it'd be an extraordinary achievement to finish top four and it'd be a, it'd be a, a worthwhile achievement to finish sixth. The, the only, you know, the, the the big caveat to all of this, and I agree with you, is is, is just no European football is is massive. And we've seen that consistently over the years, that a team who has such a an aberration of a season like Chelsea and Spurs did last season, and end up finishing out of the places entirely, normally bounce back. And that might not be by by design, but it's mainly because at the back end of a season, when the teams around them are playing Saturday, Tuesday, or Saturday, Wednesday, or Saturday, Thursday, it's very hard to um, to maintain. You know, it, it, you are much fitter, you have fresher players, and therefore you're able to pick up points at, at a higher rate. You know, we saw Chelsea win the league under Conte in that guys. We saw Arsenal somehow transpire to to not finish top four, but. But clearly that season under Arteta where they didn't have European football was a big boost in terms of kind of getting them back on track. So Chelsea's signings, you know, I think in Nkunku, you know, we spoke about under the radar signings. I don't really understand. I know he's injured now for the start of the season, but it feels like a rare case where one of the most, you know, sought after young talent, young attacking talent in Europe has come to the Premier League without much fanfare. Maybe that's because... The transfer seemed to happen over the course of about 12 months. Um, and you know, I've had a thousand signings during that time as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in Jackson, you know, that's another classic case of a player being judged on pre-season where he's, he's scored a couple of good goals and Chelsea fans are getting very excited, but we'll have to see it more. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Chelsea put last season well behind them. Um, you know, when you think about the players they've got, Enzo Fernandez, in my mind, is has all the, the, the tools in his, in his locker to be a, a properly elite central midfielder for the next decade or so and can the same in the forward area. Certainly Reese James is, is that as well. You know, they, they have players who are capable of being, I, I hate the term world-class, but, you know, as good as it gets in their position in world football and a manager now who should be able to put the ridiculous succession of, of Tuchel into Potter into Lampard to bed. You know, this should be a, a really different campaign and I, I think they'll go okay. I think they've still got a few problems. I think goalkeeper is still a problem for me with, with Chelsea. I don't think Robert Sanchez comes in and is he any, any better than Kepa? I, I wouldn't say so. I think I, he won't start. Surely Kepa's the first choice. Surely yeah, but they're saying he's to challenge him. But is he realistically going going to challenge him? I, I, I wouldn't have thought so. Although I think he was ahead of him in the Spain pecking order for, for the World Cup. That, that doesn't really tell you anything. I think that central midfield area at the moment is a is a huge problem. They, they've they've got to rectify that. Who I mean, who who've they got there at the moment? Enzo, 
Santos and Conor Gallagher are the three players that could potentially play there. Now, I think if they sign Kaiseida, that that's a brilliant sign, and that really obviously helps with the central midfield. But at the moment, you're not going to finish top six with, with those central midfield options. It's, it's just not going to happen. The bit I like about them is that you've always seen with Chelsea, if Reese James or Chilwell is out, they're not as good a team. They're just not. Mm-hmm. Kukurai has not, not done it. But in Madsen and uh, Gusto, I think they've got the right kind of backup to, to those players now. So I think that they'll be better when Reese Jones and Ben Chilwell pick up their inevitable, in, inevitable injuries because they're always injured. So they've rectified that. But I just look at that team at the moment and just think that there's too, too many problems. There's still a few things that need to be sorted out for them to be a top six team. Jonathan, what, what should Liverpool's ambitions be this season? What, what's a realistic aim for them? They could challenge for title. I think it's possible. Um, I think I think they're artificially low, artificially is the wrong word, but I, I don't think they're as bad as last season made them look. I think the way, the nature of, of, of how Klopp plays his football, if the press goes wrong, everything looks terrible. It's, it doesn't take much to go wrong for the whole thing to look, look awful. Even from that Fulham game, if the opening weekend last season, you, you could tell from that Fulham game that there was something, there was a lack of bite there, that they weren't quite as aggressive in the press as they have been. Now, the question question then is, is that a temporary thing to do with the fact they came so close to the quadruple the season before, to do with the age of the squad? Or is it to do with something in Klopp's method that, that somehow other clubs have caught them up? Uh, and, and I guess we don't really know that. But if it's the former, well, they've, they've certainly got a younger squad, possibly too young in midfield. The rejigging of that forward line, which they tried to do last season, but ended up, so, is, you know, the injuries to Diaz and to Jota, made that very difficult. Uh, they're all fit now. Uh, so, yeah, that, that forward line, I think, should be pretty much fit and fine from the start. And I think if if they'd get the press right, then all the problems we saw with, with particularly Trent Alexander-Arnold, but but also with but even Van Dijk, I think they'll disappear. Once the press is working again, those issues aren't issues anymore. So, yeah, if they, if they get the press working, they, they can challenge for the title. They certainly should be expecting to be top four, I think. I think both of these teams that we're talking about, I think a lot hinges on their central midfield signings. I think Liverpool are definitely one or two short and Chelsea exactly the same, one or two short. So I think it'll be easier to judge both when the transfer window shut. But obviously we'd expect both to be better than they were were last season. But both seasons in the Premier League weren't great for for either of those teams. We've got a combined 11 here. So I'll I'll rattle off the who scored one quickly. We've got Alisson. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Thiago Silva, Virgil van Dijk and Andy Robertson. Enzo and McAllister sitting. Salah on the right, then Nkunku in the tenant. Shabazz Lyo, whose name I knew I was going to murder there on the left. And then the lone striker is Cody Gappo. I believe that that's the formation. Jonathan, is your eleven any different? Uh, a bit. It's, it's actually not that dissimilar. Alisson in goal. Uh, I went Reese James at right back just because of recent form. But, you know... It, it, Trent Alexander-Arnold, I don't have a huge problem with. Pure, I mean, I, I can't have a 38-year-old in my team. Come on. They're <laughs> old, isn't it? Largely because um, Baddy Shield, I think, is, isn't fully over the thigh injury that ended last season. Fafana's injured again. And because I want the right side of the centre-back, I've gone for Matip with a, a, a level of concern. And Van Dijk, yeah, I'd like to have Caldwell there, but you can't have him ahead of Van Dijk and he's left-sided. So... Uh, yeah, Matt and Van Dijk, then Robertson at left back. Enzo Fernandez at the back of midfield, flanked by McAllister and Sabasly. And then Salah. I went down with Nunez purely because of pre-season form at centre-forward, yeah. but not a problem with Gakpo there. And Diaz on the left. I was assuming that we're not allowed to pick unfit players. I was um, going to say, that's the first time I've ever heard someone not selected in the best 11 because of a high injury. 
Well, well this is what because we do. This is what we the, do, the, the, the rules in the past have, all, have always been for this right. weekend coming up. Uh, and and so, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind playing Kunku in a sort of, uh, a, you know, a false nine role uh, there rather than down Nunez, but I've gone, I've gone Nunez. Do some season predictions and the bit that no one ever gets right. So we'll start with your top six, please, George. City winning the league, Arsenal still second, United third, Liverpool fourth, Chelsea fifth, so I, and, and Spurs sixth. I'm going for the, the classic big six. No, no, I'm not having that. My top four was exactly the same as yours. Newcastle fifth and Villa sixth. Shocked. Jonathan, I'm telling you, Villa will be close to Champions League this year. Honestly, I that's my big prediction. Well, I've gone Sunderland top, Sunderland second, Sunderland third. <laughs> no, I've gone City, it? Liverpool, Arsenal, United, Newcastle, Chelsea, my top six. You've got Chelsea in the, Chelsea in the top six. Interesting. Yeah. Bottom three, please, George. Sheffield United, I've got coming bottom. Forest, 19th. Fulham, 18th. Big drop-off. Jonathan, because I've completely forgotten who one of the teams was in, in, in my bottom three. Can you do your bottom three, please? Gone Luton bottom, Sheffield United second bottom and Fulham third bottom. Marco Silva's already said no to Saudi twice. I think people won't say no a third time if things don't start too well. I've got my bottom three now. So Sheffield United bottom. Wolverhampton Wanderers, 19th. And Luton, 18th. Right, we can probably move on for this next one quite quickly. Golden Boot. Holland? Yep. Holland. I mean, but should, should we do one without Holland? <laughs> yeah, let's do it without him. That's what makes it more I think fun, doesn't it? It's not necessarily without Holland, but I do think a player, I think it wouldn't surprise me if Saka has a, a, a goal scoring season to blitz his last two titles. He's got 11 and 14 in the last two seasons, aged only 21. I think the way Arsenal play and the way they're set up will suit him. It wouldn't surprise me if he, if he hits or gets near the 20 mark. I'll just go Salah because I can't. It feels. Reliable. You could go Kane, I guess, if you think he might stay at Tottenham, Jonathan. Rashford, maybe. Yeah, nice. I was thinking Bruno Fernandes. He's got the captaincy now, hasn't he? They get a lot of pens, maybe he could make his make as well. Be difficult without without Kane, because obviously he's the obvious number two to go for, but we still don't know what's what's happening with him. Player of the year, George. For reasons I just mentioned, I think Saka already one of the best players in, in English football. Um I think we'll we'll take another step forward in his development. Kevin De Bruyne again. Kevin De Bruyne. As I've said, every year for the last decade, probably. <laughs> I will go for... I'll go for Erdegaard. Erdegaard, just as a throw, throw one in there. Couldn't, couldn't think of anyone else. And then the final one is first manager to go. But George, I think you've already touched on who you think that might be. Possibly. I mean, I, I do think... There's a few candidates. Lopetegui, I think it, it wouldn't take mm. much at all for him just to walk out. So um, I think he's, he's probably the, the most likely, I would say. I also think if Forrest starts slowly... And we've been here before already, but I, I think Steve Cooper's wouldn't last. I don't think he'll be given another new contract, even though I think he's by no means the issue with that club if, if things don't start well. No, I'm going to go Lopetegui as well, but it's close between Marco Silva, I think, could, could end up walking as, as well. It's tight between those two. I think Lopetegui, in a few weeks, will just, just have enough. I think Moyes will probably be the first one to actually get the sack, but I just think Lopetegui mm. may walk. Yeah, probably Marco Silva, though. I, I totally agree with you about Moyes. I think... Hodgson, maybe, if Palace had a really bad start. And I know there's a lot of sort of mutual affection there, but there could be some sort of, he, he, yeah, he feels the need to retire and shuffle him on at the end of September. Thanks ever so much to you both for joining me. It's been a pleasure to chat to you both. We'll be back next week to preview game week two and do go back and check out all our season previews that we did. I can't remember if we did seven or eight Premier League teams in the end, but go back and check out those season previews as well if you've enjoyed the video give it a like and comment below if you agree with our predictions or not 
subscribe to the podcast as well wherever you're listening to or watching it enjoy the football at the weekend i absolutely can't wait